0: Well, good morning, morning. and Happy Happy New Year. Today is the beginning of the new liturgical year, and it is the start of Advent. Thank you for your encouraging feedback with our series on the Mass. I have thoroughly enjoyed the preparation for this series, and I love watching people uh, make connections to why we worship the way that we do. And I had every intention to keep moving forward until we ended it. But nonetheless, as we got closer to Advent, the stronger I felt that pull to stick with the Advent readings. And so we will come back to the Mass, I promise. But it's going to be after Advent, after Christmas, after the Feast of Epiphany, and after the baptism of our Lord. But I will keep you informed. In any given Anglican congregation at this time of the year, we have two groups of people. One group seeing the rich blue or possibly even purple hangings and hearings um, of the lessons about sin and judgment and repentance and watching and waiting the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they will say, oh good, it's Advent. And then there's another group that will say something like, where are the Christmas decorations? Why aren't we singing Christmas carols? Well, it takes some practice to get used to Advent. But once you do, though, you will never want it any other way. The more the world outside lights its trees, the more sparkle and glitter it throws about. The decorations that went up immediately after Halloween – the more it sings, have a merry, a, a, have yourself a very merry Christmas, the more that you will want to immerse yourself in the season and the mood of Advent. I actually heard someone in our church yesterday in the parish hall say, I've already heard enough Christmas songs. I'm tired of it already. And I was thinking, my goodness, we haven't even started Advent yet. But it's true. Everywhere you turn, every store you go into, the Christmas, or excuse me, not the Christmas stations, the radio stations are playing the Christmas songs. But no other Western denomination does Advent as conscientiously as we do. It is one of the most important, most cherished contributions that the Anglican Church has made to Christian worship. Advent teaches us to delay Christmas in order to experience it truly when it finally comes. Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is significantly weakened if we're not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness that surrounds us. So now, don't get me wrong. Anglicans have long since learned to lead a double life during December. We value the waiting to put up Christmas decorations at church until after the Advent four, in preparation for christmas eve but many of us already have started putting up christmas decorations at home now i'm not going to tell you what we've done (sighs) it seems to be a tradition right after thanksgiving but nonetheless that's a confession so advent begins in the dark and i'm going to explain this a little bit more as we move forward in this sermon So in our Old Testament reading from Zechariah, we hear a prophetic word. Now I'd like to step back for a moment and I'd like to give us some context. Zechariah shared with his contemporary Haggai, the prophet, task of getting the people of Judah to rebuild their ruined temple. And their preaching pulled the people out of their self-preoccupation and got them working together as the people of God. And there was a job to do and the two prophets teamed up to make sure that it got done. Oh, it's great to have a team to work together and doing such a thing as that. But Zechariah did more than just that. For the people were faced with more than a ruined temple in a ruined city. Their self-identity as the people of God was in question, and it was in ruins. For a century, they had been knocked around by the world powers. They were kicked and mocked and used and abused. And this once proud people, their glorious sacred history with the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Samuel, David, and Isaiah, they've been treated with contempt for so long that they were in danger of losing all connection with their past, losing their magnificent identity as God's people. And, and Zechariah was a major factor in recovering the splendor from the ruins of a humiliating exile. Zechariah refreshed their imaginations with his visions and his messages. The visions provided images of a sovereign God that worked their way into the lives of the people, countering the long ordeal of shame and ridicule. And the messages forged a fresh vocabulary that gave energy and credibility to the long-term purposes of God being worked out in their lives. But that isn't the end of it. Zachariah's visions and his charged messages are still at work. Like time capsules in the lives of God's people, continuing to release insight and hope and clarity for the people whom God is using to work out his purposes in a world that has little to no understanding of who God is and how God works. So our text this morning is about the coming of Almighty God. Zechariah closes with visions of judgment salvation and God's kingdom so in the future Israel would be captured teetering on the the verge of total destruction with the Lord himself would intervene and rescue his people and punish their enemies now by the way as we know this is a common theme that finds its way throughout the Old Testament history That the people of God did not obey the Word of God and the ways of God. They turned away from God. They fell into sin. God patiently and lovingly called His people back into relationship. They would not listen. Years and years and years go by. And He disciplines His people. And if they still did not turn back to Him, then He would really judge them. But all with the intention, through His love, To bring his people back into relationship. That was always his intention. Not because he's some mean God up there ready to punish people. But it was always discipline. Just like a parent who really truly loves their children. We discipline because we love. Because we're wanting to bring some correction. To bring our children back into right relationship. Right living. That's exactly what God did. So there was this common theme. So God would sometimes use these bullied uh, bully nations to come in and to take the people of God into exile. And they would spend some time um, uh, with their lands and their 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 um, places of worship and taken away from them. But guess what? It created some kind of longing inside of them to cry out for God again. And then they would cry out to God, they would repent of their sins, and then God would show up and he would come and show himself strong. And then he would even discipline the uh, the 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 enemies that he used to bring his people back in a relationship but there is hope around the corner and prepare yourself and watch how god will come and fight on your behalf this is a promise and they had hope it will get worse before it gets better however the day of the lord is coming the lord will come and reign and that is the message of what's happening in our reading this morning now if the lord has come and the lord is coming Why do bad things happen? How did a night out turn into a night of horror in Thousand Oaks? The borderline bar and grill was packed as patrons danced and watched the Lakers game and they played pool. It was country college night and people swayed to the beat of the music that blared through the speakers. And suddenly a man wearing a black trench coat enters and 12 people were dead, including the sheriff. And in addition, the suspect turned the gun on himself. Why? Where was God? Why is the 2018 wildfire season the most destructive on record in California with a total of 7,579 fires burning in an area of 1,667,855 acres? And that was as of November the 11th. The fires have caused more than $3 billion in damage, including $1.4 billion in fire suppression costs. I couldn't even get the latest figures of the people dead and the structures burned. Why? If God has come and God is promising to come back again, where is He now? So why didn't God stop the spiritual leaders from abusing innocent children sexually? And why has that particular church body, the largest Christian body in the world, failed so miserably holding spiritual leaders accountable? And why is the very top of this spiritual group, this body, ceased to allow discipline to take place for spiritual leaders that did nothing about it? Why is this taking place? Where is God? I could keep going on and on. You know, there's story after story that we could use. I mean, all we had to do is just look at the news this morning and there's more stories to talk about. Many people do not like to hear these things during the Christmas season, and that is very understandable. We would rather build fantasy castles around ourselves decked out with angels and candles and Christmas trees and the smell of pine and cookies and chocolate. Now, mint chocolate, that's important. But, but this is precisely the sort of illusion about spiritual health that the church and Advent refuses to promote. The season is not for the faint of heart. It requires courage to look into the heart of darkness, especially when we're afraid that we might see ourselves there. The authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from the darkness, but they look, it looks straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and the message is false. Instead of pointing to someone else's sin, and by the way, we just talked about a few other sins in this message, but it's not looking at other people's sin that's important. It's looking at our own sin. Advent begins in the dark. That's why we enter into this season So where is God? These are the Advent questions. The church has been asking them from the beginning, going all the way back to the first century A.D., when the Gospels were being put together. The early Christians were facing a crisis. Voices within and without the community were saying, where is the king? Show us some evidence. He said that he would return, but there is no sign of him. The world has not improved. Where is God? In our gospel reading, we are told there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world from the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then we hear the words of hope. The gospel continues. At that time. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So we are told to hope. We as Christians are a hopeful people. Jesus will come again. He has come the first time and he will come back again. Bad things are going to happen. But while you're waiting, the gospel says be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live On the face of the whole earth, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. In other words, be prepared and ready for the second coming of our Lord. The prophets always stood in a particular moment and invite the people of God to step into the depths of their faith by entering a future with God. They were asked to believe in a future that they could not see because faith is never only for today. It is also always bright hope for tomorrow. Jesus describes the future in so doing. He is not trying to frighten us or to use fear as a tool for motivation. He describes reality for the purpose of directing us toward that future. We do not know why God delays so long. We do not know why He so often hides His face. Now that's the way that we understand it. That's the way we see it. We don't always understand where God is at moments and times when He is ever so close to us. But we're not aware of it. We might not see it. Why is there darkness? Where is God in the midst of these uh, these moments in life when destruction is happening all around us? Where is God in some of our lives right now when we're experiencing with a tremendous amount of darkness in our own spirit and life? There's very little hope to even want to live to the next day. Where is God? We do not know why so many have to suffer so much. All we know is that there is this rumor, this hope, this expectation that the master of the house is coming back. And the second coming of Christ historically has always been the focus of Advent until more recent years when the focus has been primarily on the Christ child. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a bit more scary and it makes us feel a lot more uncomfortable. And that's hence one of the reasons why it's not talked about as much during Advent. It's easier to focus on a baby. And certainly that has its place. And I'm not meaning in any way to be disrespectful for that. You know that. But I'm trying to emphasize that the the very reason, the essence, the purpose of Advent is to focus on these questions to prepare ourselves for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But since Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Holy Week and Easter and Ascension and Pentecost primarily focuses on the incarnation of Jesus Christ on earth, we need to fully live into the season of Advent and focus on the second coming. The first Sunday of Advent is not about the first coming of Jesus incognito in a stable at Bethlehem. It is about the second coming in glory to judge the quick and the dead. It is about the final breaking in of God upon our darkness. It is about the promise that against all the evidence there is a God who loves and cares. This is not the end of the story. It is the beginning of the end. The church lives in Advent the church lives in the time between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We live in the midst of the tension between things the way they are and the way they, the things ought to be and the way things will be one day. So we're living here. And sometimes we seem to be more, you know, back further away from that next coming of Christ and other times we're leaning a little bit more this way, but we're called to pray in the midst of it all for more of the kingdom of God to come on earth right now like it is in heaven. More of the way it ought to be and is going to be to come and meet us in the now. Jesus is God's holy gift, a gift that we need, especially in times of uncertainty, especially when the world is shaking. In Him we find a God who never keeps safe distance from chaos, holding the world at arm's length, but who will never be overcome by it. Jesus invites us to bring our lives into the divine life by following God's time. We must enter into God's time so that we are not overwhelmed by our times. And the actions that Jesus wants from the from his disciples in uncertain and unstable times are precisely the opposite of what one would expect. Disciples um, are to stand up and raise up their heads and Such actions are not examples of insanely blind, stupid faith, nor the the tragic denial of destructive forces. They suggest That recognition that our lives are in the hands of God who has taken back from death and destruction the power to determine the future. So God's direction orients us in faith, not in fear, toward the world. So when the cataclysmic events involving both the environment and the nations should not distort us but turn us toward God, They should not disorient us, but they should turn us toward our Father, our Master, our Lord, and our King who has not and will not abandon this world. I tell you, I'm not going to answer all the questions that you have this morning, the questions I raised in this sermon, frankly, because I don't have all the answers. I don't. But I will tell you that God does show up in dark events, in this dark world, in tragedies, Whenever people like you and me who have the light living in us, regardless of how little that light seems to be burning at that moment, whenever we show up in that darkness, God is present. Whenever we show up and we are the very presence of God in that dark moment and we are embodying the kingdom of God in that moment, just by being present in the darkness, God's there. Whenever we reach out our hands in love, in service, or through tears, through words of encouragement, God is present. God is there. When someone shows up with a hot meal to people who are hungry, people whose houses burn down, God is present. Where is God? He's there in those moments, I know for sure. He uses people like us. And when we're there, He's present. To each and all on this, first Sunday of Advent, we bring this announcement that God will come and his justice will prevail and he will destroy evil and pain in all of its forms once and forever. To be a Christian is to live every day of our lives in solidarity with those who sit in darkness. God's present whenever we sit in solidarity with those that are in darkness. God is there. His light is there when we show up, when we're there with them. And until then, as our epistle reminds us, and I'm going to be reading from the Message Bible, paraphrase, verses 12 and 13. May God, our Father himself, and our Master Jesus clear the road to you. And may the Master pour on the love so it fills our lives and splashes over on everyone around us, just as it does from us to you. May you be infused with strength and purity, filled with confidence in the presence of God our Father when our Master Jesus arrives with all of his followers. Paul prays that God will strengthen them in holiness, that is, in the holy life to which they and all Christ's followers have been called, lives that live in obedience to Jesus Christ through words and actions. This prayer reminds us that we live in the in between time. Christ has indeed come and brought us the gift of a transformed life, abundant life now, and the promise of eternal life. Yet the transformation is not yet complete. Both we and the whole creation long to see God's promises fulfilled. We yearn for justice that rolls down like mighty waters. We hope that one day the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the swords become plowshares. We long for the day when mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Because all of that will will be is not yet. We need to be strengthened so that we may walk in the light right now. Advent is not just between Thanksgiving and Christmas, though it certainly appears there. Advent is all about what was and what is to be, about what has already happened and what is yet to occur. It's a time of anticipation, expectancy. To live the Christian journey with expectancy at the most basic level is to be a resident of two worlds. We live on this earth and we live in the world of heaven praying and longing for more of heaven to come to earth today, now. We live fully in the here and the now with all the joys and sorrows, victories and setbacks of, the, of this life. We, we love, we laugh, we get tired, we make mistakes, we hurt, we rejoice, we grieve in the journey through this wonderful creation and recreation that God has given us. And we live with anticipation of the life to come. We are in between the coming of Jesus Christ And his coming again. Living now with hopeful expectancy. That empowers and sustains us. And please please listen to this. We've talked so much about how God meets us. God has come in the past. That God meets us in the future. But remember this. He meets us in the now. He meets us in one another. He meets us in so many other ways. And as Anglicans and as the, the church historically has always believed. The Bible teaches that God meets us in word and in the sacrament. He meets us now. And thank God for that. Because Jesus Christ is coming again, I encourage you all saints to rearrange your house. A guest is coming. Rearrange your lives now. Prepare and live as if Jesus Christ is coming today. So come, Lord Jesus. Amen.